It's time for JT the Brick. I am JT the Brick, focused black hole, getting in there, ready to rock. I got my A game. I've been there with the Raider Nation in the black hole. I've been in this rivalry. I've seen it in my 24 years here. It's a do or die game. Can't let them win in Vegas. Protect the house. Protect the Legion Stadium. Be ready to go. No half-ass effort. You don't need a PhD. You don't need some expert on CNN or Fox News teaching you about fandom. I just told you. JT the Brick. I'm on a roll right now, so let me go. Hey, JT. Yes. I love you, and I love your show, Thank you. That's what the Raiders are based on. Al Davis, the history of the Raiders. They were always banged up. They were always taped up. They had blood coming through their helmets, and they played. The 11 angry men. I'm not encouraging injuries. I'm encouraging violence. So that's where we are, Raider Nation. Simply put, man up and play football and win a game. And now. That's a hell of a motivational speech. Here's JT the Brick. Welcome back. Hour number two of Raider Nation Radio. Busy day today. Just hosted the Raiders Roundtable with Q Myers and Lincoln Kennedy. And that is going to jump in here pretty quickly. You'll see that on all the Raider mobile devices, the website. So take a look. Please, I hope you download it. It's the freshest, newest podcast inside the Raider facility. And we talked about every free agent signing. Uh, The good, I don't think the bad. I mean, just the guys they brought in. And you could think they're good. You could think they're average. They're filling uh, holes, whatever they're doing. We just talked about it honestly here again. Raiders still got a lot of work to do coming up with the NFL draft. We're going to spend a lot of time this hour talking about March Madness because this is an historic week in Las Vegas. I've been in Las Vegas a long time. There's been some people here a lot longer than me, but I remember when there was no professional teams and no gambling, and they never thought they'd have a regional, a Sweet 16 to Elite 8 regional here. We got that at T-Mobile. Tomorrow, two great guests on this topic, Lon Kruger, who is royalty in Las Vegas. Lon Kruger will join us to talk about the history of all of his five teams that got to the Sweet 16. And Paul Gutierrez, who wrote a great new column about Las Vegas getting a regional and how Las Vegas has now broke through. We broke through with the Raiders, the Golden Knights, legalized sports gambling when it comes to professional teams. And some of these teams have partners with gaming companies. If you've been here as long as I've been here, since 96, you never thought of that, and it's happening now. It's my honor and pleasure always to welcome in my friend, America's favorite sports gambler, Bill Krakenberger joins us in March Madness, where, Bill, there's kind of blood on the streets here in Vegas for all the gamblers who came in and just funded these sports books. They just wanted to drink, eat, and bet on teams they didn't know anything about, and especially those parlays. How are you? Well, hi. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. And you teed it up exactly uh, perfect because you said Vegas, and I have to go by Vegas here because people come out to Vegas to bet March Madness. It's, and granted, they are still staying in the jurisdictions where the big sports books, DraftKings, the Fandles, the BetMGMs are. But the brick and mortars really, really are the ones that benefit by uh, this March Madness. I talked to one operator holding 9%, over double what they normally hold, of giant, giant volume. I don't want to hear any of these sports books crying here the next few months because they have just had a giant, giant March Madness. And, and these betters just are. Uh, not that they're, they're – listen, they're having fun. I understand they have a lot of fun. They come out with their buddies, but they're, they're drinking, they're partying, and, and, and this, this definitely hurt them. 
for sure this March Madness more than, 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 than previous March Madnesses. So, Bill, you're saying the sports books are cleaning up. Uh, reference that compared to college football and the NFL and what they're holding and what it looks like when the profits come through compared to March Madness. I find this fascinating. Normally the hold on, on any given uh, weekend in Las Vegas here during football season, and I'm going to throw pro in there too, college and pro, uh, they'd be happy with 5%. And that's on volume that is just so, so tiny compared to March Madness when, when every single sports book has these giant lines, giant volume, giant money. Everyone thinks that uh, – by, by the way, going, going back to what I was just talking, uh, talking about um, previously to someone else, you know how much – it's so much busier here. Las Vegas was a little bit scared about losing gamblers because of the other jurisdictions, 36 states being legal. Let me tell you something. It has only benefited Las Vegas. Las Vegas has gone up uh, volume in sports betting because what it does, it's, it brings that whole new genre. It brings out all these young kids that, have, that grew up, like I said this before in your show, they grew up on like Kobe and Shaq and now uh, LeBron and, and all these players. And they, oh, I can, I can win on that. I can, beat, I can beat basketball. And now they say, well, let's make it a trip. It's cold where we are. It's different. Let's finally go to Vegas. We all know how to sports bet now. We didn't know how to do it before. They all came here in droves, and literally, like I said, this 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 particular week, and I I didn't even expect these numbers. So when I when I spoke to one operator yesterday, and in confidence, he said we held nine point one percent, and that's just on crazy crazy volume. Like I said, uh, compared to the football, it, it, it literally, uh, and that's throwing the NFL even in there. So big big week, and and you know the reason why is just just because of what you wrote on your Twitter, and I retweeted it with some comments. Listen, everyone loves to bet parlays. It's up to 30 to 35% of sports books profits. People love to bet parlays. They love to bet money line. You know, hey, just throw in a Purdue on my money line. It's, all it's going to do is, is X <laughs> times my profit. That's an easy one. Just throw that money line in there. It's only going to make, make the parlay pay a little more, and they can't lose. Bill Krakenberger is our guest. So, what should the public sports better who travels to Vegas, not only now with the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, if they want to make money, what's the formula that you have when you stay away from parlays and you want to be on the right side of a game that you've done some research on? Because a lot of people don't know about these college kids. They don't study. They don't know where they came from high school. They, ne- they just know a coaching style. Someone like you know the referees who are calling this game and all of that. So what can you do to tell, tell some of these young sports gamblers who are making all these mistakes because they can't follow a lot of winners, what should they do to recalibrate and do a better job making a profit? Well, let me tell you, these teams have a lot of eyeballs on them now. We're getting down to Sweet 16 and Elite 8. Bill Krakenberger bets less and less as these games go on. It's such an ironed-out line. Uh, literally, I can come up with the lines myself just, just from watching the games what the line should be. They really don't move as much as they did after Selection Sunday. I'll just tell you, I know it's fun to bet UCLA, Gonzaga's, and your big teams, Alabama, Houston, you're all excited. Listen, this is like betting NBA games. Almost impossible to beat the sides from here forward. I even struggled this March Madness. Usually, I bet a lot of totals. I bet some player props. Uh, Trust me, how many guys that are in my position will go on and tell you something like this? I even struggled. Sunday was a terrible day for me. Almost four units like uh, it was just a bad day. It was a, this March Madness was, was, was not the March Madness I'm used to. And, uh, it, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, guys, trust me, getting into these deep rounds, very, very tough to beat. Try to have some fun with it. 
play, maybe you want to play some totals. Listen, the unders, blindly, the unders were hitting like 75 to 80% the first three days. Obviously, it reverted a little bit on, on Sunday and went 7-1 and one to the over. But I still maybe lean to a few unders, maybe some first-half unders. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I don't want to play full-game unders and get overtime and garbage fouls make my line make 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 the uh you know the points go up i like first half unders also i will play game unders but i also like first half unders so i just wanted to uh make sure the public knows that and it's just uh, i appreciate you come on let me have this format to tell them that bill krakenberger at crack wins you noted something on that epic cover by tcu and what happened in that game with gonzaga as they covered the plus four and a half you noticed the crowd noise here and for decades the ncaa did not condone sports betting that walk us through that and how that changed. Everybody's talking about that one game and the backdoor cover by TCU. Oh yeah, no, it was uh, amazing that all all they had to do was charge the ball a little bit, uh, and, and and of course, what would have happened is they would have grabbed the ball right away and had to make more than a half court shot. They didn't. They let the ball roll in, and sure enough, it was a really fantastic cover for the underdog players there. Um, but and you can imagine how many tens, probably hundreds of millions of dollars changed hands worldwide based on something like that. But these are kids. You said it before, too. It's a great point you made. These are 20-year-old kids. These aren't 30-, 32-year-old NBA players that have been around seasons. There's a lot of different pressure on these type of kids compared to NBA guys. So um, it, it was just an interesting game. It was an interesting uh, uh, amount of money that, that that probably switched hands there. Mm-hmm. And um, what was your question, JT? Yeah, was, well, just how uh, you heard the crowd, and the crowd even in attendance knew what the spread the was at the game. Right. Normally, you, the crowd would know. They're just into the game. They want winners or losers. Even the crowd groaned after that cover live. Oh, my God, the crowd. You could hear the crowd because, let's face it, the crowd did that because a lot of perc- a big percentage of them were gambling. They knew right. what that meant. They knew what that, what that, what that shot meant. So, of course, they did. So when you hear years ago these college uh, officials and, and, and big people in office and even the NBA commissioners, NFL commissioners, all saying that, you know, sports betting is bad and we, only a small percentage of people bet on sports that watch it, it's ridiculous. If it wasn't for sports betting, the big giant money in TV contracts, people's salaries wouldn't be what they be. Uh, it wouldn't be, would be what they are. So it, it's really ridiculous. So let's just call a spade a spade. I mean, come on. It, 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 even the commissioners that are in charge of these leagues wouldn't get the kind of money they, they did if they weren't in bed with these sports, these giant sports betting companies. Bill Krakenberger, last one at Crack Wins, America's favorite sports gambler, and I mean that. If you know him as a friend, if you see him around town, he wants to help you win. And Crack, you know, finally, I, I'm fascinated about this going forward because – I, I was at four or five different Vegas casinos o- the opening weekend, and two of the books I got accosted, even though you know I don't gamble because it's the biggest sign-up day of the year. Biggest sign-up day of the year for these apps, and they had four or five gorgeous young girls and young men coming up and saying, hey, if you signed up, you signed up. You find the value there because you can get free money on a free bet. So you put 100 in, you fund your account, and then you get your first free bet of all that. I didn't realize that it was a bigger day than the Super Bowl for these sportsbook companies. They were all over. They saw they saw blood in the water. They saw red meat outside the cage. They couldn't sign up as many 21-year-olds as they could get their hands on. It was a very, very good point. It was the last big push because what happens here? We get into baseball season, get into a lull. So it's the last big push before the NFL in, in August comes around with the preseason. So, of course, these companies are all throwing things out there, trying to get uh, people involved, um, you know, and signing up. These, Like you said, the 21-year-olds, the kids. 
and, and, and the incentives are unbelievable. Yeah. Some of the incentives across the country. I know FanDuel, again, was doing $5,000 free bet. So certain jurisdictions, you put up $5,000, and, and literally, that's, if you bet 5000 if you lose that in one shot, as long as it's your first bet, you get the 5000 back in another bet. That's just ridiculous. It's, 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 wow. it's, now, now, I'm not saying ridiculous. I love to take advantage of stuff like this. But when they come over to me now in the sports book, I just tell them real honestly, your company threw me out. I'm not allowed to play. I'm not allowed to play in the app. <laughs> so the, the kids don't even know what to do. They're, they're kids. I mean, I'm not picking on them. Right. They, what, what threw you out? What's that mean? Yeah, they threw me out for winning. They're using my brain. They get, they get all, like, nervous. And, but it's cute, though. You're right. It's all these young girls walking around. I see them in Atlantic City last year walking around trying to sign you up for accounts, getting the bonuses. And it's, you know, it's great incentives for people, though, to sign up. They're going to gamble anyway. You might as well take advantage of one of those bonuses and promos. Thank you, Crack. Always love hearing you. The listeners go crazy when you come on. We'll send everybody to the website and follow you on Twitter. Good talking to you, buddy. Thank you, sir. You got it. That's Bill Krakenberger. Uh, he's fantastic. He's a gambler, professional gambler who wins because he posts everything. He's become a good friend over the years, and he reached out to me because I tweeted something. He retweeted it about the stupidity. And we just had a sports book director on a VP who told you what they're doing and how much money they're making with the parlays. I'm not discouraging you to bet a parlay. I don't bet again. But my son's coming in this weekend. He's 21 with all his buddies. And I discourage him from gambling at this age. I don't want to see my 21-year-old gambling at this age. But my nephews do and some other kids do. And if they're doing it for entertainment, it's okay. But when they're doing it and they're blowing through their bankroll quickly, the kids got to get their money somewhere else. And they get it from mom and dad. And they're starting off their jobs, and before they're getting married, before they're buying their first house, they're signing up to, for these sports books online. And what, what percentage of these kids you think are going to get in trouble? Anybody? What, what 10%? Most. I wouldn't say most, Bobby. I wouldn't say most, but I'd say say it's 10 or 20% of these 21 to 24-year-olds who get introduced to gambling with these free money bets and sign up and get 200 free. What's going to happen, it's going to take a few of them and crush them. Not ruin their lives, but ruin them in the short term because they don't have any money to fund it. Now, if you have the money to fund it, have as much fun as you want. But I wanted to have Bill on to talk about these parlay bets because the casinos have cleaned up. There are so many drunk young kids coming in betting parlays. And as he said, one, one sports book director told him, plus 9.1% in the hold that they have on these parlay bets. Incredible to see. Uh, let's get out to Mikey in L.A. Mike, thanks for calling, buddy. How you been? Mikey, are you there? You're up next. Go ahead. Or do I have Benji who's there in Denver? Benji, is that you? It is indeed, JT. How are you? I'm doing well. Go ahead. I'll get Mikey next. Go ahead. All right. I, I, I want to echo an earlier caller who, who, who just said how much we appreciate the time that you put into the Raiders because so many of us match your passion for the team. And, uh, I wanted to share some, some really interesting numbers with you today as you really do a great job breaking down the offense and the defense. So listen to this. The last five years, in the spirit of the, of the NCAA tournament, last five years of the NFL Final Four, the four teams to make the championship game, 13 of them had a top five offense based on points per game. That's mm-hmm. 13 out of 20. Six Super Bowl teams, three Super Bowl champs. On defense, there's only one Final Four team in the last five years who had a top five defense, and they didn't even win the championship game. I, I'm just like every Raider fan. I know we need more players on defense, but the numbers do not lie. 
offense is winning in the NFL, Mm -hmm. and this Raiders team has a chance to be a top-five offense. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to enter next year at 31 years old, but he's only played 57 career starts. That's basically three and a half years of wear and tear. Of course, people will kill him for the injuries, and that's legit, but, but he really has three and a half years under his belt. And what this reminds me of is when Rich Gannon came to the Raiders. Mm-hmm. He became an MVP because there was an offensive-minded coach who took him under his wing, and when Rich Gannon came to the Raiders, he was 34 years old with only 58 career starts, one more than Garoppolo. The bottom line here, we have to do it on the field. We know that, right? But if you're a young GM and you're a make-it-or-break head coach and you've got the blessing of your owner, you better have the confidence to build it the way you want to, or else I wouldn't want you as my coach and GM. Nice phone call. Yeah, you're right about that. You know, a lot of Raider fans don't have patience for Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler for what they want to do. And, again, I can't change a lot of people's minds, nor do I want to. I want everybody to figure this out on their own. All I'm just saying is to take a step back in the off season, not the regular season. Regular season, everything ramps up for me, you, everybody else. But in the off season in March, April, May, June, take a look back and see where the Raiders have filled all their holes. And then look at the draft and how they're adding the draft picks in. And then look at the elite players that they have and then the very good players. And then you look at the team and you go, okay, I think this team could do better than expected or not. Right now there's a lot of negative Raider fans because they don't understand what Ziggler's trying to do at his level. They just want to win games. And you just can't jump ahead and win the Super Bowl with the talent that Dave Ziegler inherited. Now, it's his job to bring in much better talent, and that's what puts the pressure on Dave. He said it would bust him with the boys. He's told it with me. He knows he's got to get this right. Maybe the plan initially wasn't Jimmy Garoppolo, but the market changed, and they went out and got Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Jimmy Garoppolo gives the Raiders a fighting chance. When they come out of the tunnel at home against the Chargers and the Broncos, Aren't you all going to feel good that Jimmy G's the quarterback and has won all these games and has all these playoff wins and played in the Super Bowl? I mean, he shouldn't be the guy screwing it up. He should be the guy keeping the Raiders in the game and giving the Raiders an opportunity to win. That's what I hope to see. I'm not guaranteeing it, but that's what I hope to see going forward here. Mike in L.A., diehard Raider Nation. Good to talk to you, Mike. What's up, JT? How are you, buddy? Good. I good miss you, buddy. Hope to see you out here soon. I will be out there very soon. Okay, so I was listening in last week on the day that Garoppolo signed, and I loved how you would not accept any negative phone calls. It was about Garoppolo and about his day, mm-hmm. and you'd be getting for this radio team. Okay, I just want to make a few points, and I'll let you off the phone. Yep. Unfortunately, the last guy kind of beat me to it as far as the comparison to Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon was not doing anything. Actually, he was a backup in Kansas City. And until we brought him in, until Gruden brought him in, and he fit in Gruden's system is when he thrived. His leadership ability, how his players respected him, and his toughness. You can't say that Garoppolo doesn't have all those accolades, number one. Number two, he's done nothing but win. Now, whether you could say he's got a great defense or not, a great defense also has a lot to do with what your offense does and converts thirds down, mm-hmm. converts, you know, moving the change, putting the, when you finally do have to punt, putting the, you know, pin the offense back, you know, deep in their territory. So all those things make a difference. So for all those Raider fans who are haters about Garoppolo, 
just relax. You know, you will never, if anyone ever got a promotion to a, in a new company, in a new job, of course you want to wish that person the best that they can do. You don't want to come in automatically say, oh, this guy's not going to be good for it, or he does mm-hmm. this, or he does that. It's just, it's just not right. Yep. And he's done nothing but win. He's resilient. He's a, and he injuries are just. Yeah, and he wants to win. And I got to run, Mikey. You're right, man. Good to talk to you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you calling in because you're a season ticket holder. A longtime friend of mine. Appreciate it, Mikey. Thank you. And he, he nails it. The, the day that we had Jimmy G on, all I wanted to do was welcome him in and just make him feel at home here. He had his mom and dad here and his three brothers. They're driving around. They're going to Allegiant Stadium. A lot of the drivers have the show on and all that. You want to welcome a guy when he comes in. And when people leave, you say goodbye to him and thank him. Darren Waller. You know, Hollins, you go through all the players that are here, once a Raider, always a Raider. And I just think now is the time to let Ziggler go to work. Give him that respect. And then when the season starts, I hope that Josh McDaniels, who will come on with me often, and he's telling you what they're trying to do, you're going to be able to judge that. You're going to be able to judge it every week and every game. But this is not the time to ramp it up. This is the time to let them do their job. Let them do their job. Evaluate us every day for our content and what we're talking about. Evaluate them before and after free agency, after the draft, into the preseason, and then when they put their final 53-man roster out there. Because they got a lot of work to do. Most of the league doesn't respect the Raiders and this roster. All the handicappers and sports books are giving you free money to bet against them. And they got some more work to do to clean it up. The only thing I'm really happy with now, considering as Dave's trying to fix the team, I'm happy with the amount of deals they've done in the last couple of days. They brought in a lot of guys in the last 48 hours here, extra players who seem to be pretty good and have a niche or a role, and that's important to them, special teams, you know, third or fourth players, guys who are coming off the bench in a rotation, role players. I think they're doing a pretty good job on that, but they let a lot of the superstars go because they didn't want to spend that much money on him. They're really trying to keep their powder dry to get a free agent only if he makes sense and have some money to sign these draft picks. They might have to sign a couple of draft picks. What happens if they have to sign three draft picks in the first two rounds? Their first rounder, their second first rounder, and a second rounder if they start moving up here. So that's going to be the big move for me, and that's the one I look forward to in the next two months. I hope that happens. 702-365-9200. John Crispin's going to join us coming up next. Really good from ESPN. He played for UCLA. He played for Penn State. He's one of the best college basketball analysts out there. I'll ask him about the Sweet 16 and the fact that Vegas, we get the host in Vegas. Tomorrow, Lon Kruger and Paul Gutierrez are going to join us to talk about Vegas and how Vegas was set up perfectly for March Madness. Looking forward to that show tomorrow on the flagship of the Silver and Black. And Raiders Roundtable was just posted. Please download and share. At the buzzer, and it's over. K State beats Kentucky 75 to 69. The team from the Little Apple is headed to the Big Apple to play in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I've been all over John Calabari all week in Kentucky, and we've been talking about expectations. What's the expectations for UNLV? Is it not even to make the tournament? 
How about making it to the Sweet 16? What are the expectations for Kansas? What's the expectations for Gonzaga now? That's what I'm talking about now at the Sweet 16. Some teams like Princeton, Florida Atlantic, maybe they're happy to be here. Their expectations were not to get this far. Other teams should be there. And again, I think that Kentucky's got to figure out what they're going to do with John Calipari long-term. They're not going to buy him out now. They owe him $40 million. But if it doesn't get past the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16 with all these NBA players, what's the use? Thrilled to welcome in John Crispin, the great work he does at ESPN. He's an insider for college basketball and a former player. And, John, I was just talking, I think expectations have to be higher for many teams, including Kentucky, going forward. How do you see it? I think they absolutely – well, it's funny. They have to be higher. I think uh, demands need to be higher, right? The expectations are definitely there. I mean, their expectations are final four every single year, SEC championships and all that. But the demand is, is probably what you're referring to. Uh, from an from an administrative standpoint, but it, it is funny. It's one of those contracts where it's like who who's in charge, right? You get a lifetime contract, you kind of set your own terms, type of thing. Who's in charge and who's being held accountable? I think that's the challenge. Um, the hardest thing about having expectations and even demands in the world today is that everything changes so fast. So it's really hard to even know whether you have the right person uh, there in in place to be able to get guys to play that you want to play because games today or teams today are more like a professional European team than a college Mm -hmm. basketball team where you're taking transfers. I mean, let's just call them what they are. It's free agency. You're taking free agents from all over the country. You're taking a kid that was a freshman last year someplace else. He comes in, you have him for a couple of years, hopefully, and, and you try to make it work with guys that are new to one another. Uh, the only difference between college and European professionals is European professionals are grown men and they have their livelihoods on the line. So it's a little different. I just think it's a completely different game. So, so the Calipari model, it doesn't really work anymore. The one and done model, it doesn't really work. And there are other teams out there that are willing to spend even more to buy the talent that they really want. Yet the talent that's young doesn't really work in college basketball. We're seeing that play out. If you look at the teams that are left, it's a ton of experience outside of Alabama who's got the best talent. Yeah, I love when you, if you have a superstar one-and-done guy and you're in the tournament, he can carry at times and maybe put you on the back and go get you 20 in a game that you're down 10 and you got that type of player. But now I'm seeing players at different teams. I look at Princeton and Creighton and what we're seeing yeah. even with Arkansas where the teamwork and the coaching, the coaching's at a high level even more so, and they're finding a way to mix and match the portal, as you're talking about, with bringing in some transfers and getting it done. But, I mean, for a program like Princeton, their goal's got to be to make the tournament. And then to make the Sweet 16, that's gravy. To make the Final Four to win it all feels almost impossible, so I think they've exceeded expectations. Oh, they blew away expectations. The thing is, what, what people don't really consider is teams that are different. Right? Why did FDU beat Purdue? Well, it's because they're completely different from Purdue, and they they made they took their disadvantage in terms of their lack of size, and they turned it into an advantage. And Princeton kind of does the same thing. Their offense is tough to figure out when when you're going to short prep. And what else is hard to figure out is it's hard to figure out how to get pace in that game when you're playing against a Princeton team that really wants to slow it down. So when you look at Missouri, that's a team that scores 90 points a game. Well, how do you create pace in that game? And if you can't create pace, then you're basically just limited. You don't even know how to play in that game. So you're seeing these experienced teams not only not only dictate how the game's played, right? I always said, like, FDU and Purdue, 
the, the best way to describe it is like, you know, revolutionary war tactics. If you're taking on the, uh, the red coats, you're not going to meet them on the battlefield. That's just <laughs> dumb. They're too big. They're too strong. You, you meet them at the pass. You thin out the herd. You blow up a bridge, like, and then you, and you thin them out a little bit more to the point where they don't even want to fight that fight because they don't even know what the fight is. And that's what I felt from, from FDU against Purdue. And I'm starting to feel that from some other teams like, like a Princeton. Um, and it's probably going to be FAU against Tennessee. Tennessee. You think Tennessee's going to be able to play the way they did against Duke, against FDU, or FAU? Heck no. They're going to dictate the terms of, of that game. And I think that's what gives you an advantage. And those younger teams, they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to manage a game. John Crispin, kind enough to join us. I'm going to throw out a, a few teams. Give me what you think could be the difference. I'll start with Arkansas, an eight-seed over four-seed UConn. That's one of the upsets I have. I think Musselman's completely dialed into this team emotionally and especially the adjustments he made in the second half over Kansas. Yeah, and they're different, too, because usually he wants to get up and down the floor more, maximize possessions. It's been different this year. Um, they, they've just been a different team. They realize they have to be more defensive-minded. There's an efficiency to which, with which they have to play. And I think that'll be the biggest challenge. It, it's not whether they can play with UConn. It's whether they can keep UConn slow and keep them out of transition mm. and limit this thing to be like a 65-60 type of game. Because if it gets up into the 70s and 80s, that's where it's going to favor the depth of UConn. So it's really more about control. And, and the coaching you're talking about in that game, it's like in-game adjustments. And the in-game adjustments, yes. people think it's like, we'll call this play. It's like, no, 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 no. We, we don't run plays anymore. We create, we call actions, and those actions lead to a scoring advantage. You play your advantage, and then you create options from there. It, the game's different. So, so Mus's NBA experience, his professional-level experience, is what gives him an edge. But, daggone, man, that UConn team's deep. I mean, there was a time earlier this season mm-hmm. we talked about them as the best team in college basketball. Of course, we did that with about 10 or 12 different teams this year. But Arkansas <laughs> yeah. is playing with a ton of confidence, and they do, man. They feed off of him. And he gets his shirt off at the end of the game. I'm pretty sure he shaves his armpits. It's crazy, man. He's a wild dude. <laughs> John Crispin joins the Sirius XM Big Ten Radio ESPN College Basketball Analyst. Tennessee was so physical against Duke. I liked how they sent a message in the first half, and then yeah. they just weared on their bigs in the second half. How could Florida Atlantic – even think they have a chance unless they try to cardio run them out of the building. What's their game plan? Well, I'll tell you what, Tennessee's got to be really cautious in the first five to 10 minutes of this game because of the narrative that's been, been kind of running around that they got away with murder against Duke. I mean, those are the things mm-hmm. you got to pay yeah. attention to because officials, we, we always like to think that like they're not human. They're totally human. They absolutely know that the narrative was that they just completely bum rushed and physically dominated Duke and, and did so in a fouling way. So you have to be cautious in the first five, ten minutes of the game. You, you can't just let loose if you're, uh, if you're Tennessee early. So you want to feel out the game a little bit. FAU's got playmakers, though. They, they've got real playmakers. John L. Davis can play. He can create. These guys were a top 25 team earlier this season. And truth be told, there's been times where I've seen Tennessee, and they don't look very good. Why? They struggle to score. They struggle to create rhythm on the offensive end. So they're forcing things into the half court. They're capitalizing on some, some transition opportunities, but ultimately that comes from their defense. So if they can play physically like they get, did against Duke, they have an advantage. If they can't, this thing's pretty evenly matched, probably more evenly matched than people realize. 
Uh, Wong went off for 27 for Miami. I love the way Larinaga coaches and gets yeah. the most out of his team. Just Houston. I, one thing I've loved about Houston under Kelvin Sampson is he, he's got four guys who go to the rim on every play to grab a rebound, yeah. including the guards. I mean, they crash the boards, and so does Miami there. So the physicality and the foul trouble in this game, how does Miami keep this close and have a shot late in the game? Well, I think they keep it close by scoring, and they force Houston to be more of an offensive-minded team. And now here's the thing with Houston. They trust their on-the-ball defense. They trust that you're not going to attack their pressure. They also trust that you can't handle a double team on the ball screen. And the reality is Miami's got dudes who know how to play. They're older. They're all they're, they're on-the-ball guards. They can all make plays. And even their big in Norchad O'Meara, he honestly could play. I actually told Kelvin Sampson, mm-hmm. that Norchad O'Meara from, from Miami, he could play for Houston. He kind of fits that mold. So, so you have a versatile big, and you have four guards around the perimeter who can create. So that pressure from Houston may actually be their Achilles heel. Whereas you pressure Miami, they beat you off the bounce. And if you get beat off the bounce, you're now chasing the play. So I actually think Houston's got to be a little more base in their defense because this is a Miami team that can go on 10, 12, 13, 14, 15-point runs, and I don't know if that's something Houston could handle. That's not how they want to play. They want to control the game, you know, add to a four-point lead here and there until the point where then it's 14, 15 and becomes insurmountable because of their defense. But if they get behind early, uh, that's a concern. And, and we're also still kind of keeping an eye on the health of Marcus Sasser, not sure how healthy he really is. So can he create when they need buckets? That's going to be a challenge, but I actually really like this Miami team, another team that was, you know, Elite 18 last year. Uh, finally, John, wanted to ask you about Rick Pitino. What are you reporting behind the scenes on this? Didn't he say about a week ago that he, hadn't even, he didn't even know where St. John's was? As yeah, a New Yorker, yeah. he wasn't even in that area. So, obviously, <laughs> he was playing. He was downplaying that because he wanted to focus Iona and his team in the tournament, which is great. Yep. And the key for him now with the Red Storm is recruiting New York in that area. I don't think that's a great job. It hasn't been a great job since I was a kid in the Big East with John Thompson and Louis Carnesecca and Jimmy Beheim. So, was that the best opportunity Rick Pitino with his name value could get with St. John's? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of, again, I don't want to say this in a nasty way because I think we're all competitors and we have this, but I think there's a little ego in there. And I think the ego is I can be Mr. New York City. Uh, we have the transfer portal. And Rick Pitino, because of his name, because of his whole prowess, he's, he's, got, it, he's got an energy like New York City about him. I mean, he's, he's got a gravity about him. He's going to be able to raise money. And he's going to put NIL dollars together, and he's going to be able to get high-level transfers, even if they're one-time guys. And the difference between Rick Pitino and a lot of other coaches out there is he can coach them and make them a winner in one year. I mean, he's, he's really that good of a coach. I mean, he, I've never questioned that. So I actually think he can, he can turn things around. The question is, does he make it any better for the next guy? Because it's a tough job. Like you're saying, it's a tough job. But he's such a big personality. It's almost like that job has to have someone that's bigger than the program itself, and they got it in Rick Pitino. So it's all those things. It's the fundraising efforts. It's the whole energy around the program. It's the swagger he brings. That's the type of kid he's going to get. He's going to bring kids that, that go elsewhere and bring them back home and represent the city well. I mean, there's a lot that will change under Rick Petito, and a lot of, lot of it will be image-based, which is ultimately what the program needed. And one more quick one. Can you believe I'm in Vegas and we have a regional, let alone Tony Romo wasn't allowed to have a fantasy football conference out here five, six years ago. Now we got a football team, a hockey team, and Vegas. That Once everybody gets a taste of the Sweet 16 in Vegas and the Final Four and national championships at Allegiant Stadium, we're celebrating that fact where I reside here in Vegas. Yes. Look, one of the other things that I'm surprised is the Pac-12 didn't try to poach UNLV. 
I just feel with professional sports in that town, sports is going to continue to grow in that town. And the Pac-12 is really dying in so many ways. They should have made that their headquarters. They should have made Vegas the, the, the mecca for Pac-12 basketball, West Coast basketball, and UNLV would have been an ideal pickup. They could have got them on the cheap. You get, you get San Diego State, you get UNLV, and then you really send a, a great message to Gonzaga saying, we're going to corner this region. And ultimately, Vegas is going to be the mecca where they have professional sports, where eventually you're going to have an NBA team. I just think they really missed the boat on UNLV because Vegas is just on fire with professional sports. Thanks, John. Always a great conversation. All the best. Thanks so much for your time during March Madness. Appreciate you. You got it, man. My pleasure. Thank you. How about that? How about that comment at the end about Vegas and Pac-12 blowing it here? It's an interesting point. I don't think, and we're going to talk to Lon Kruger tomorrow. Talking to the coach is always a highlight. We talked to him a few times a year, normally around coaches versus cancer, but uh, he was kind enough to come on with us tomorrow. UNLV in the Pac-12, I don't think the program was ready. They get slaughtered in football. Slaughtered. I mean, they can't win in the Mountain West, and they've been getting humiliated. Uh, put, put UNLV football in the Pac-12. I mean, the recruiting would be better. The money would be better, and that's important, but... John made a very good point at the end, man. I'd like to follow up with him in a podcast maybe later on about what he meant by that. The Pac-12 could have had their headquarters in Vegas and set everything around here. That would have been a sharp move. Larry Scott destroyed the Pac-12 with the television package, the money he spent, and what he's done with that entire contra- uh, con- uh, conference. He destroyed it, and everybody should be ashamed for doing business with him. Larry Scott had decent intentions when he started then he started staying in beautiful, you know, double ceiling, gorgeous rooms, expensive rooms in Vegas. The television contract was terrible, and it put the conference backwards. Now good teams are leaving the conference. I cannot believe they screwed up the Pac-12 as badly as they did. Kelvin in San Francisco. Thanks for waiting through that. How are you, Kelvin? Kelvin, are you there? Go ahead, man. Yeah, I'm a bit more optimistic than uh, most Raider fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at it like this. We went we went 6-10 and 10 last year. Uh, how many games did we lose by one or two scores? So we weren't far off to begin with there. We should have won. We should have, hold on. Raiders should have won nine games last year if they got three of the five collapses. I'm not asking five for five. That would have been nine. And that nine wouldn't have been good enough to get in. But it would have calmed everyone the hell down on the quality of the team in the season there, losing the five games where they had double-digit leads in the second half, flipped everyone's energy into negativity. Absolutely. It's football the game of game of inches. It's one play here and there that changes the whole outcome of the game. I look at it like this from a roster perspective. perspective. I feel like we've improved at the quarterback position. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback than Derek Carr, but he's going to be a better fit for the Raiders. He fits into McDaniel's scheme. scheme. Uh, if, if he stays healthy, obviously. We've improved at the wide receiver position. How? Jacoby Myers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we lost Darren Waller, but people are forgetting Waller didn't play last year. He was hurt. Hunter Renfro didn't play last year. He was hurt. We got the offensive line getting more reps in. Hopefully we can address that in the draft. If we can name one or two good defenders early in the draft, there's no reason our defense can't be dramatically improved. I see this team easily win in 10 to 12 games. Um, it's easy to nitpick and be negative right now because we are sort of tearing apart the roster. Mm-hmm. Also, one last thing. If you're ever out in the Bay Area, we'd love to tee it up for you, with you. 
can't yep. wait for some Masters coverage as well. Thank Thanks. you, my friend. I appreciate it. I haven't been to the Bay Area in quite some time. Uh, no disrespect, I spent a lot of my years, 17 years I commuted to the Bay Area, stayed there. Uh, North Beach was my hub. I love the wharf. I love everything about the Bay Area. Uh, they have destroyed the inner city of the Bay Area. One of my best friends in my entire life uh, spent the last three days at my house, who lives in the heart of San Francisco. They have destroyed that city. I'm not, I'm not making that up. They have destroyed the inner city of San Francisco, a place that I called a part-time home of mine. From the Fillmore to the Wharf, from North Beach to all the places that I used to hang out at, I lived right above the stadium, right above Momo's, you know, south of Market, and those areas now are unrecognizable, what they've done to the city of San Francisco. I'm done even tweeting out pictures of it anymore. I got friends who live there, diehard friends. I got friends of mine who were on the radio in San Francisco and are dying to get out of there, dying to get off the radio in San Francisco, not for the job, but for where they have to live, the price they have to pay to live there and to have a family there. It's a disaster that they ruined San Francisco Portland, Seattle, and what they've done to regions of Los Angeles and the homelessness in San Diego. I still have a warm place in my heart for San Diego where it all started for me. And the reason I love Nevada, and we got plenty of problems here too. We got homelessness, we got issues, crime a little bit, but it's a better place to live. I miss the beach, I miss the ocean terribly. But San Francisco, I'd go up there six, seven times a year. Now it might be once every three years. And I, I want to go back, but the city is a bleeping mess. They have destroyed it. And you could say this is a political rant. No, it's not. It's everybody. They have taken that city, and they've turned it into a dump. And it's one of the most beautiful spots. I got engaged up there at the top of the mark. I lived there when I got married with my wife as newlyweds. Best memories in radio up there with the Oakland Raiders commuting over the bridge to Oakland. And what they've done to the city of San Francisco is despicable because so many people want to go on vacation. So many people want to go on conventions, go to concerts, and they won't even go to our airport and get a plane ticket to fly into San Francisco anymore. They destroyed it. And the best part about it is they'll rebuild it. And it'll come through again, maybe on a beautiful cycle again, and we can all go back. That's why I say come to Vegas, man. We'd rather have you here. It's a really good time. But I, you know, sounds like I killed San Francisco there. Bobby's shaking his head. It's a shame. I'd like to go back. I go to Napa. They haven't destroyed yet Napa in Yountville. That's one thing I could still do is go to Yountville and go have a couple of good meals and a couple of bottles of wine and enjoy it there. Oh, and see my Yankees in Oakland. I like to go see my Yankees when they play in the biggity, biggity, biggity O. We'll wrap it up next. Brought to you by Resorts World. amazing last night. Japan came back and beat Mexico in the World Baseball Classic. 
And tonight we have the United States going up against Japan. If Otani comes in and pitches, and he should be able to pitch a little bit, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, what a game this is going to be. It's lived up to the hype. I love the World Baseball Classic. There's no load management there. You sign up and play for your country. It's been beautiful to watch. Big Al in San Francisco, what a surprise, as I was just uh, taking shots at the once beautiful city. What's happening, Big Al? Uh, well, JT, you know, today's a tough day for me. Uh, growing up in New York and being a Knickerbocker fan and Willis Reed being the, the captain of the greatest Knickerbocker teams of all, um, today's a tough one. Willis Reed was, you know, people talk about all the great centers in the league, and, well, they shouldn't. There's a lot of great players that have played the center position. Willis never really got mentioned, but he was tough as nails. And there was load, no load management, uh, mm-hmm. reference game seven against the Lakers. Um, there was something about, there's always been something about the Knicks to anybody that grew up in New York, that New York was always a better town when the Knicks were great. And when the Knicks were great in that era, they, cause they had Willis Reed and Willis mm-hmm. Reed was the epitome of a great Absolutely. basketball player and epitome of a great person. And as a kid, uh, growing up to that, and my dad was a all New York city basketball player. So the game was in, in kind of embedded in my blood, mm-hmm. um, watching Willis play basketball and watching those Knicks teams play. Was a thing of beauty. Was a thing of beauty, unlike some no of the doubt. AAU stuff we see. Thank you, Big Al. Got to run. I got to get up Raider Dave quickly here. He's been waiting. Raider Dave, go ahead. I got a minute. Hit it. All right, man. I, you know, the Raiders free agency I period I think can be summed up in two words: economizing talent. And it's a tight end that's better at blocking. It's keeping the fullback and getting smarter at, at, with speed at wide receiver. Standing pat in the number one run game in the league, I love it. Having more players that understand McDaniel's offense, that's the only way that's going to get better. As far as defense goes, there were seven new starters in 21, seven in 22, and I predict eight in 23 because if it's seven, it's because Merrick slips through and joins Hobbs, Jones, and Crosby. The only other one I would see would be Diablo. But the point here is the lack of continuity from year to year, yep. and this will be the third time in three years that defense gets overhauled. Defense has got to be improved, Dave. I owe you more time, but I'm out of it. We were packed today. Thanks to all the callers who were fantastic, all of our guests. Thanks to Bobby who put it together. Raiders got to get the defense right, and they'll have to do it via the draft.